Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is my co-host Joey. Hey, how's it going? And today we're talking about Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga. This movie was recommended by my mom. So shout out to my mom. Hi, mom. I hope you're listening. <laughs> this is a romantic comedy, romantic comedic, modern musical, American-European musical comedy film. Directed by David Dobkin. The cast includes Jackie Moon, Regina George, James Bond, Discount PewDiePie, and Sonny Monroe. I watched this movie on Netflix. Joey, how'd you watch it? I also watched it on Netflix. I, um, I, I'm actually really glad we finally watched a Netflix movie. <laughs> this one was... <laughs> so accessible. Like, it's so accessible. Didn't have to pay any extra money to watch it. And also, this one is like low-key relevant. It was number one on Netflix right after it dropped. Um, especially yeah, it's a big, a big hit. Yes. Well, especially because it dropped early because um, Eurovision got canceled. But, mm. um, but yeah, we'll get into that. Joey, why don't you give us the synopsis for Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga. Demi Lovato explodes. Yep, that is the synopsis. Let's get right into it with our pros and cons. Joey, what did you like about this movie? I think this movie is pretty funny. Um, it's got a lot of really cool sets and locations. It's got a very fun premise. Um, there's a lot of cameos by actual Eurovision winners and contestants, which I think is really cool. What about you? I think this movie has great singing, really easy to listen to. Great premise, like you said, especially for an American audience that may be unfamiliar with Eurovision Song Contest, which is, you know, I'm definitely included in that. Uh, low, I think this movie was low-key funny. I want to put a very, I want to emphasize low-key funny. Low-key. I, I laughed, but, you know, it's not... Is that like low-brow? No, 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 that... no, just it, it, it was funny, but I wouldn't stake my reputation on saying like this is the like a very funny movie. If I told somebody else to watch it and I was like, watch it because it's funny, I think they might be disappointed. But it, mm. it did make me laugh at times. And in general, it was a fun movie. I had a good time. It's very lighthearted. And I think that that's good. It, it was a little bit of escapism for me. Yeah, uh, it has a happy ending. Everything gets resolved. Yeah. Yeah, not too dramatic, even in its most dramatic moments. It's just a fun movie. Um, okay, so let's talk about cons, Joey. What did you not like about this movie? I feel like this movie like tries to be subversive, um, but only in its last moments. And the rest of it is very typical. Um, typical for rom-coms in general. I feel like the dialogue is kind of weird for a lot of different reasons. Um, and is this movie racist? <laughs> Is it? Oh my gosh. I don't, I mean, I don't know if I would go that far, I guess, but like the whole uh, Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams doing Icelandic accents the whole time, right? Is like for comedic effect, like, look, they're doing a funny accent. Is that like, are they making fun of a culture or is, you know, are they, is it, is it a fun kind of poking at? Like, I don't know how far it goes. It's so, certainly not the same as like, you know, I don't know, like dressing in like, I don't know, yellow face or like replacing a Asian actor with a white actor. You right, know, right, right, right. But right. it's some, it's like on that same wavelength, I would say. So I want to 
I, I, I mean, obviously I'm not Icelandic, so I can't be like a very official resource on this, but I did watch a YouTuber from Iceland and she's pretty popular. I don't remember her name. She had an Icelandic name, but she reacted to this movie and she talked about stuff like this. And there's a lot of things that they miss about Icelandic culture, but apparently this portrayal was received well by the people of Iceland. And um, one thing you could say like to the contrary of, yeah, it is weird to have Pierce Brosnan doing this Icelandic accent why couldn't they get a real Icelandic actor they did actually have a lot of real Icelandic actors especially in the opening scene where they're all watching mm. Eurovision together so I think that that at least contributes to the movie's credit uh, for the Icelandic culture although apparently Lars not an Icelandic name Secret, not an Icelandic name really? um, Olaf which is the name of the guy who didn't want to pay his parking ticket and they're like we know where you live Olaf not an <laughs> Icelandic name so there's a lot of things that they miss on but according to this one famous YouTuber girl from Iceland it was not none of it was necessarily offensive I don't know that much about Iceland but from what I do know I feel like they're pretty laid back about especially stuff like this because at the end of the day they live in like a very beautiful country you know it's like no matter what you do or say like we still win so right yeah <laughs> <laughs> um other cons i feel like rachel mcadams gets a big disservice in this movie with the character she is asked to play i feel like she could have been used even better than she was used um and i don't really know if this movie is a musical i don't think it is enough of a musical it's not diegetic in its musical like takes for sure i mean or or undiegetic i should say hmm. it is all of the um all of the music is very part of the story and like brought up on stage the only exception to that is the song along part which is my favorite part where they have all the different um like winners and other people singing along into like a like a medley of different pop songs i thought that part was awesome that part is very much like a musical um but other parts of the movie are not really musical-esque really you know they have songs but they don't last very long they don't play out and they don't um advance the story at all well aren't they just the songs that it's just like reality where the songs at eurovision song contest are the songs being sung like, right which makes it a movie not a musical oh okay yeah, yeah, yeah i see what you mean um I think this movie, and this was something I heard from a lot of people, because um, apparently, like a lot of people I know actually did watch this movie right after it came out, but it was longer than it needed to be by about thirty minutes. Like it was, <laughs> it was. Again, it's like you could have, you could have definitely condensed this down to make it a better movie. Uh, two hours is asking a little bit much, in my opinion. And also, I'm not trying to be cinema sins here, but. Ding. why do these people not have cell phones like how did how did lars get all the way back to iceland without realizing that the biggest competition in europe had like he had just like won in that competition right no like, one texted him congrats no yeah i'm saying or even yeah uh secret could have contacted him any number of people could have contacted him but it, it wouldn't have worked it wouldn't gotten at the scene where he dives into the ocean and swims back so right right well he was on a plane right so his phone couldn't it was off and then he dived in the ocean and ruined his phone so obviously it makes perfect sense. it does it's oh, you're right totally take that one back minus one <laughs> sin um <laughs> but okay so those are our pros and our cons let's move on to our overall section and um i just want to say before we get into anything deep 
I think the Eurovision Song Contest is a really cool concept. Um, I have to thank this movie for bringing Eurovision into my life, or rather, I have to thank our listener, your mom, shout out Joey's mom, uh, I have to thank her for bringing this movie into my life and thus introducing me to the Eurovision Song Contest. Did you know that Eurovision Song Contest existed before you interacted with this film? Um, not exactly. So I saw some like things on Reddit, some like uh, videos on Reddit uh, of people that of, like I guess past contests and stuff from different countries, and it was like titled Eurovision Song Contest. And I'm like, oh, I guess this is a thing. I had no idea that it was so long lasting, and you know, had all of this history and all this like cultural impact to it. Um, and but also. The only reason that those videos showed up was because was to promote this movie. So, in a way, no. Okay. Um, okay. But also, kind of. Right, right, right. Well, I had no idea. Even during the movie, I was watching it, and I'm like, this would be really cool if it was real. <laughs> I was like, I'm really, this is actually, they should make this happen. And um, I was blown away when I Googled Eurovision after this, assuming the movie would come up, but the actual competition showed up. I was like, Wait, well, it said like when when I googled Eurovision, it auto completed to when is the next Eurovision, and it had dates. You know how if you Google like when yeah, is St. Yeah. Patrick's Day, it says like the date. I was like, oh my gosh! So then I spent the rest of the night getting acquainted with Eurovision, and it was absolutely amazing. If this movie accomplished nothing else, it pays homage to a historic, multi cultural song competition, and I think it deserves credit for that. Based on the premise alone. It, you know, pays, it, yeah, it celebrates something that I think is really cool in real life. So, you know, thumbs yeah, up for definitely. that. But, like, you know, does it need to be celebrated any more than it already has been? You know, and like, it's, it's, it's certainly wonderful to discover something like this if you haven't heard about it. But, like, lots of people have heard about it. And it's almost as if, like, the Americans have kind of been, you know, it's, it's more like not so much. <laughs> Well, um, Americans aren't invited as much as let's just not tell them that yep. we're doing this. Yep. No, it, it totally makes sense. We're, we're so self-centered. We think that we run the world culturally that it right. like, if it's not happening here, excuse me. It did doesn't you say, exist. Yeah. Did you just say a song competition? I'm sorry. Uh, you're not competing in American Idol, which is obviously the superior <laughs> contest. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I do think that's that's great, though. I do think it's awesome that we get to appreciate it um, now that we know about it. And I think this is a great introduction to it because I think it does a lot of it does show a lot of the great aspects of Eurovision. Right. And, and again, yeah, I, as much praise as I want to give it for that. Obviously, that a movie cannot stand on homage alone. Uh, there's still right. more to discuss. I think. OK, so I think this movie has a lot of things, good things about it. Um, the sets are are really great. Um, the costumes are really great. The actors give it their all. Um, I really like Rachel McAdams. I really like Dan Stevens. I really like Will Ferrell. I think he, all of his characters bring a surprising amount of heart to them. And this movie has no exception to that. I think this movie suffers from, because it's trying to be too mainstream without fully committing to anything. Um, it, it really could have been this kind of weird and interesting movie, almost reflecting the band that it would that like is in the title but instead it really plays it safe and shows you the kind of the same old rom-com story you've seen a thousand times and it is really like a classic rom-com um like in that the main uh male lead is 
like objectively a terrible person. Um, <laughs> I think that Will Ferrell gets some credit because he helped write this movie and he is playing a character that is pretty unsympathetic, I think. I think, well, I wouldn't say that. He's unlikable, but he's not unsympathetic. He is kind of a dick, but there are things that you feel for him and you want him to see him succeed. I certainly did. Um, but he's still kind of this, he's still kind of more the villain of the story than he is the like protagonist. Because even in the end, he doesn't really get what he wants. He sacrifices what he wants for the betterment of our other lead, Rachel McAdams. And I really do feel like she is not utilized as best as she could be. Like, I want her to be this, you know, independent person who has her own dreams and sacrifices that for Will Ferrell. But instead, her only dream is to be with Lars, be with Will Ferrell's character. And that's the only thing that's like what she's obsessed with and the only thing that matters to her. And he seems to be completely clueless or at worst, you know, reject like rejects that idea i think like i'm not the kind of person that puts a lot of stock in the bechdel test um i think amy bechdel who invented it uh would agree with me that it's not a very useful way to evaluate movies for the uninitiated quickly summarize bechdel sure test. sure so the bechdel test is a way to tell if the movie is sexist or not the in order to pass the the bechdel test uh you have to have two named female characters who have a conversation that is not about a man it only has to happen once in your movie, and then it passes this test. And it's kind Again, of a tongue-in-cheek test yes. for uh, sexism, because obviously you can be sexist while still passing the Bechdel test, but it's the, the point is there or are a surprising amount of movies that fail the Bechdel test. Right. And this movie, I, I, like, I was reminded of this a lot uh, when Rachel McAdams is talking to the elves uh, at one point. So this, is, so this is a scene where she's up on the hill, she's talking to the little houses, and this is clearly a moment for her to uh, ex- expand on what her character is feeling in this moment, to voice her inner desires and kind of give voice to her motivation for the audience. But even in this moment where she's only talking to herself, the only thing she can talk about is Lars. And it's like, like, are you serious? Like, this is the, this is the depth of our female lead is that the only thing she cares about is the, the male lead. Um, and I, I was frustrated by that and I, I didn't feel like that was like even fair. And throughout the movie, you see Will Ferrell's character kind of push her dreams aside, try to reject what she wants, not give her the voice that she deserves, uh, pun intended. She's <laughs> constantly like pushed aside and, and it, only when someone truly sees her, someone who, you know, someone actually listens to her is, does she feel validated? and like moves to the next stage of her life, which is where she does something for herself, right? Lars doesn't fulfill that at all. And I, I find that frustrating that he still kind of wins in the end, despite his kind of, his dismissive actions. I wouldn't say he's necessarily terrible to her, just like inconsiderate, I think is the best way to put it. Well, yeah, I mean, he doesn't he doesn't value her because he sees their love connection as something that could impede his progress toward his ultimate goal, which is to win Eurovision. And even though he spends like the whole majority of the movie being very one track minded, almost to the point where it's just ridiculous, the, the argument they have after their performance goes awry and Lars decides to rush home it seemed rash. It almost seemed like, okay, this guy is really dead set on being an, like a 
kind of a butthole right now. Yes. Um, but then it is kind of, you know, they, they do have his arc completing when he decides to forego any chance of winning Eurovision by breaking the rules and performing a different song, which allows her to hit the peaks of her potential uh, and hit her spurg note, right? So that was fun. That came, that that completes her arc as well, brings it all back. And he doesn't get to, it, it, he doesn't get to have his cake and eat it too. He ends up back at the in Iceland performing Ya Ya Ding Dong, and nobody wants to listen to his song still. Uh, right. So I yeah, think so he trans he had some transformation in there. I think that's true, and I think that redeems this movie at least a little bit. I, I, I think the ending is wonderful. And I think that the way that um, Sigrid kind of comes into her own and large sacrifices for her is very appropriate and, and fulfills that arc, just like you were saying. And I find, that, I find that very satisfying. The question is, is that enough to make up for the rest of the movie? You know, is, is his actions before that fully redeemed by his actions at the end? And I don't really know if it is. And that's what kind of makes this movie confusing to me because on one hand, they do kind of flip the script, right? And give their, like, the romantic comedies, female leads, like, uh, more agency in the end. But leading up to that, it acts just like all the other romantic comedies. And it's, and it's fulfilling that same, like, uh, vision of the world, of, like, the patriarchy you know, of like, this is a man's world and females are just living in it. And it's, it's, it perpetuates that up until the end. And I don't know if it redeems itself fully in, in the end, because I certainly still had this sour taste in my mouth, even though I still ended with something sweet. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's justified. Um, I just didn't feel like it was all that compelling of a narrative. It was the classic, like, man has to choose woman over his own ambitions, and he ultimately mm. does that, you know, which is fine. It's satisfying. They tied everything up at the end, but it felt like such a safe narrative. It's like so, you know, uh, plot starter kit. Um, it, it wasn't very, um, you know, they didn't really subvert any of my expectations beyond maybe a little bit about the, who the villain of the movie is, because, uh, you know, it obviously seems like it's Lemtov because he's kind of the foil to Lars. He's confident. Mm -hmm. He's, he's sexy. He's successful at music and, you know, he is potentially going to be cut come between um Lars and Secret but the twist is that it's actually this guy from the public broadcasting station in Iceland who just doesn't want Iceland to go bankrupt. Um uh, that was a fun subversion but I think that's where the subversion ends. It really is. And I you kind of touched on a couple of things and one of the things I want to like focus on is the magic in this movie and the kind of supernatural stuff they talk about. This is something that I wish they had done more. I think that would have made this movie like elevated to something really fun and really weird. Um, because the fact that the elves like are real is a pretty fun twist, even though it's kind of telegraphed by Lars's like very like enthusiastic rejection of the idea. Um, I like that it turns out that they're real. Um, but there's not enough of that. I wish like it had been the elves that had blown up the, the, um, the party uh, the boat. Right. Like that would have been like, Oh, these elves are, first very powerful and also kind of random in there like attacking you know like and there's just this, this random like at, like force in the world that 
like kind of just directs their attention randomly. And that's, uh, I think that's, that's kind of a fun idea that I wish had been expanded more. Same with um, Demi Lovato as a ghost, right? She shows up once, basically out of nowhere, to give <laughs> Lars a, a warning, which was like, you know, uh, unexpected, but happens early enough in the movie that you're like, okay, I guess this is where we're going to go. Then she shows up again and is completely useless. That's a fun twist for a ghost, definitely. You're but right. Like, where's your Where's your rules of three? You know, like why doesn't she show up again? Why isn't she like Why doesn't she play a bigger role in that? You know, why isn't she haunting him or something? I would have liked it a lot more if they had played up the supernatural bits of this movie and like really kind of got into this weird realm instead of just playing it so safe. Yes, I I totally agree. And I'm glad I'm glad you brought up Demi Lovato because you, that is actually a subversion I think I need to give them credit for as well because um they totally made fun of that trope of the goat the omniscient ghost that yeah. that it does plot exposition and keeps the narrative going. She's just totally out of the loop and useless, which is so <laughs> funny. It's also hilarious because Demi Lovato is like very successful at music and to humble herself to have a cameo that totally makes her look ridiculous i i think is really endearing um so i i want to give her praise for that as well as the actual explosion to being so unexpected and hilarious like that for me was the peak (laughs) of the comedy in this movie was um having them about to kiss right because that's you think the story is going to go in that direction where it's like now that they're out of eurovision it's going to be some sort of love story and maybe that's how somehow that takes them to eurovision but instead it's this explosion and demi lovato's mangled arm lands like feet (laughs) away from them i really i really enjoyed that I, i like unfortunately like the funniest part of the movie happened so early early in the movie but it is still it was laugh out loud nonetheless yeah and there are some other like bits of physical comedy i feel like that are are like on that level perhaps but again like it doesn't commit to that kind of random violence or like whatever that like as much as it could have you know it could have made that a whole thing like for what's his name vince or vincent whoever the guy who is that kills the um kills all of the uh the, the singers he his only act is that is destroying that boat. You know, why not have him be this villain in the background is constantly like pulling the strings and like causing all these bad things to happen. Um, instead, like he's just kind of, um, you know, he does this one thing and then it turns out that it was him, uh, which honestly to me didn't make a lot of sense, but it's, whatever, it doesn't really matter. Well, yeah, he's like radically fiscally responsible. Like that's his thing right. is he's like, he doesn't have any sort of malice intent necessarily. If anything, he's trying to protect Iceland. Um, and, and so he, yeah, he, not he, that the thing he brings up is not ir- like irrational, right? He's like, we don't have this, like the resources to accommodate all these people. And they're all just like, shut up. Like <laughs> <laughs> go, go back to your calculator nerd. <laughs> I did. I did like the Iceland uh, like council there, the public broadcast. I thought they were funny, um, they especially were funny. the way that they were like talking so poorly about Fire Saga. And then the camera pans, and there they are, right there. <laughs> um, I thought that was good too. Uh, that was the other thing. One other thing I want to bring up is like, why were they so bad exactly? Like, they were good singers. They had an original song. They had these like elaborate co- like. Uh, choreography and like costumes and everything um and yet everyone just kind of hated them for like no real reason and every time they got on the stage and started to sing like people were like oh 
I, I'm surprised how much I like this. And then something wacky would happen. And then they would all be, everyone would be like, well, that's definitely their fault because they're <laughs> stupid. You know, like it didn't really make any sense. The whole thing with the like, giant hamster wheel coming loose and like, like she gets dragged across the stage. Obviously it's like, it's pretty hilarious. But then the reaction from the crowd is just silence. Like they finished the song. They sang great. Everyone was loving it. Graham Norton's like, wow, that was embarrassing. It's like, come on, Graham Norton, give me some credit. Let me, make my, let me make my own decisions about how I feel about this. But like the reaction they have from the crowd is like he had like done something really like offensive, you know, but instead he had just like it had been an accident. Maybe you could blame Lars for making a poor wardrobe choice. But even then, like it's not his fault that the scarf got caught in the thing. You know, like why was the reaction so like visceral or like, oh, I, I can't believe that just happened. I'm so embarrassed for them total cringe to the point where his where pierce brosnan has to walk out of the bar because he's so embarrassed by his son like uh, nothing he did up to that point was enough for him to leave the bar you know like yeah i mean I, I there's obviously a purpose for people to have that reaction but yeah the what is the reason that this reaction is elicited what who what is it exactly that they're doing that is considered so bad i don't know i mean they have to right. be the underdogs right that's the purpose but yeah i i actually really like their song double trouble um, Me too. and yeah i don't I, I i agree i don't know why everybody hates them all the time <laughs> yeah it's it's it doesn't seem like it's I just I, I just don't understand that because I, I keep thinking about dodgeball when i'm watching this movie because it has a sort of similar arc right but in dodgeball they're they're bad they're very very bad at dodgeball and they only get to the to the next round of competition on a technicality and they have a like a couple of weeks or like a couple of days to train in order to become good enough to make it to the next level, right? And so it's like this constant, like, oh, did they train enough? Do they know enough about this, right? And then they, like, you know, through a bunch of, like, lucky breaks and also, like, skill and teamwork, they make it to the top. In this movie, they're good throughout. It's not like, like, they won on a technicality, but they were still good, you know? Yeah. They, nothing, they didn't change anything about their act or the way that they presented themselves or anything like that or the way they sang. Instead, they were just like, oh, we didn't have an accident this time, so I guess we're okay. <laughs> you know? The, um, they were even good from the very beginning of the movie with that Volcano Man yeah. song. Um, I like that a lot, too. Oh, that was cool. Yeah, when they were like, oh, yeah, with the synths yeah. and everything. And, and Will Fowler, awesome. like, the first things he sings is just, oh, oh. Oh, <laughs> uh, he's he's so funny. <laughs> yeah. All right, is it time to go to our new uh, our cool Easter eggs? I think it is time to go to our cool Easter eggs, Joey. All right, I got some here. Uh, I hope I don't have too many that are also yours. <laughs> <laughs> Just go ahead. <laughs> so this movie references Abba a, a few times. Um, Abba. Wait, you say Abba? What do you say? Abba. Nah, it's Ava. <laughs> it's Ava. For really? Sure. I'm gonna stick to that. All right. I'll take your word I don't, for it. Um, I'll take your word for it. I don't know, I'm but an, I'm gonna. I'm, I'm gonna say Abba I'm right. Expert. Anyway, they're a uh, Wikipedia describes them as a supergroup, but they are a group of two married um, couples that both ended up splitting up because of the tension of being a super successful band together. So you know the fact that Secret and uh, Lars want to be just like ABBA is kind of, you know, interesting because um, they had a very troubled, uh, like, history. Um, and the fact that they are not quite lovers, but, like, hinted at that they're lovers, 
is, you know, kind of mirrors that in a way. Also, uh, they, uh, they became largely successful because they won the Eurovision Song Contest with their hit song Waterloo in 1974. That's right. Sweden's first victory in the competition. And uh, they, they, they sing that song several times, and you could see it in moments of introspection from your characters where they sing Waterloo out loud. Um, I'm going to go to this next one. So during, this, uh, during the movie, we had uh, about 14 different cameos from different uh, Eurovision contestants and winners, um, all from like recent years. Uh, there's that guy who's um, playing the piano um, in the park. He was a former uh, Eurovision contestant. Um, uh, the people that actually sang for Rachel McAdams and for uh, character Mita, um, uh, Mita Zexis, I guess. She, uh, those were both um, Eurovision winners. Uh, it's uh, kind of a big... Um... Well, I don't know. I think they were winners. Oh. Um, Molly Sandin was a 2006 swedish contestant okay. and she dubbed all of rachel Adams' songs in the movie and petra nielsen was actually she didn't actually make it to eurovision she was a melody festivalin contestant in 2004 and melody festivalin is the swedish uh national song competition ah. where you qualify for eurovision and it's actually apparently one of the more popular national competitions. So it's actually still kind of a big deal to do well in Melody Festival, and even if you're not a winner. And I commend you on your pronunciation. Um, <laughs> yeah, so the, the, a, lot of, so there's a few of our characters are dubbed over um, uh, with these very famous and successful singers from Eurovision, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, who and better? And a bunch of other people that just show up uh, I think during the song along section, but other sections in the movie too, um, that are all just different uh, representatives of Eurovision. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. I th I thought something was up because the, I mean, when you watch the song along, there's so many other people who get FaceTime with the camera, and maybe in that moment you're thinking, okay, these are going to be introduced to us later, maybe. But um, it's once you realize what's going on, it's so clear that these are cameo appearances, which is very cool, I'm sure, for any uh, you know Eurovision uh, veterans who actually Absolutely. recognize these people from when they competed. To like, and for them too, to like, kind of break through into this new audience, which is this movie is clearly made for Americans, right? And um, yeah, and they all look so unique and, and strange, right? Like there's that guy who is like wearing the dress and has the beard and there's that woman who's wearing that like that corset and stuff like they all look like they don't look like singing extras. They look like unique characters, yes. you know, so it's, it's very clear that there's something going on and it's the cameos for Eurovision. Very, very cool. Uh, something else I thought was interesting was the prevalence of Icelandic mythic beliefs and one of them being that Icelanders either believe in elves or say that it's possible they exist, uh, which is something that is true for 54% uh, of Icelanders, as, uh, according to National Geographic in 2017. And I want to, and it's specifically that line. It's Icelanders believe that elves, uh, they say that elves exist or it's possible they exist. So right. it's probably, we're probably like given a, like a survey that said elves exist. Agree? Strongly, like strongly disagree? Uh, you know, strongly agree kind of thing. Right, right. So, um, pro you know, probably pushing the numbers there, but still a worthwhile inclusion in a movie about Icelanders. Another Icelandic myth, the Spjorg note, 
Uh, mm. I looked this up. It is not a real thing. It's just for this oh. movie. So not actually an Icelandic note or anything like that. Just made up for the movie. And, um, you know, that's all right. You know, funny. Lars isn't what an is, Icelandic name. Do we know what that secret. word means? Spjorg? Is that like a Ford or something? I do not have a definition for it, but it doesn't. The Spjorg note itself, not an actual um, Icelandic myth. Hmm. A myth of pure fiction, you could say. It's a myth of fiction. <laughs> um, and another thing that was interesting about this movie was that Double Trouble, which was the you know f- Icelandic entry into the Eurovision competition, it actually peaked at number 20 on the Scotland official charts, which is their version of the billboard. Um, so it actually did pretty well, and I've added it to my Spotify uh, playlist because I, I do actually like that song. I don't know if they actually get all the way through it without having interruptions in the movie, but they do have a complete version that's about three minutes long, and it now that I've experienced other Eurovision songs, I think they do a great job of making a like alternate reality, like potentially really? could exist Eurovision song. Oh yeah. A lot of the songs sound like that they played in the movie at least sound like kind of similar in a way. They have that kind of upbeat techno feel to them. Well, it actually um, reminded me of Frank because as I was listening to actual Eurovision songs, I was like, oh, this song, this might be the most likable song I've ever heard. Like there's so many, mm. like the, the way that they're written, there's actually people criticize in the YouTube comments that a lot of Eurovision songs end up being similar in the sense that they are all trying to be pop they're all trying to get stuck in your head they're all trying to get you to like them immediately which can be a problem but at the same time if you like all the songs it kind of doesn't feel like a problem (laughs) if you like likability (laughs) (laughs) and i actually in in listening to some of the songs from eurovision 2020 which is unfortunately canceled and none of the contestants will get to compete i discovered iceland's entry and it is mm. amazing it is really? it is i mean it's one of my favorites from eurovision 2020 it's but it's also one of the more popular youtube videos for the eurovision youtube channel and th- it's it's the song called think about things and it's the only song that i can think of when the singer says baby he's actually referring to his actual baby and it's a song <laughs> he's he's it's a song about how he can't wait till his baby grows up so he can hear what it thinks about things mm-hmm. and um the the Icelandic singer he's got a really powerful voice and he's got this ensemble that dances with him and Iceland can contend, dude. I don't understand. This movie, if it gets anything wrong, it's that Iceland doesn't have a chance in Eurovision. I think Iceland could have maybe taken it this year. At least the, the YouTube Dang. comments will agree with me. Um, ah, they Truth by YouTube. I definitely recommend definitely. on the Apple cha- YouTube channel, I actually have a playlist of some of my favorite Eurovision videos, um, and they're on there, of course. Another one, and I, I could go on and on, but I'll stop at this next one. Uh, there's this group called Big Little in Russia. And they made a song called Uno, which is in Spanish and English. And it is just a techno pop, uh, very catchy song with amazing visuals. They didn't get to perform, obviously, so they made a music video. So it had, the production quality is even more enhanced than a live performance. And um, 
it, it's also popping off on YouTube. Uh, cool. Millions, like 15 million views or something on it. Uh, so I, the, the actual competition has amazing songs, but I think Double Trouble does enough to at least be in the same realm as some of the actual wow. competitors. I really like that one. It was like Running with the Wolves or something. Uh, the one with the guys like dressed as like a demon. I think. Yes. And and like he has the the woman who's seen it's like a duet between the two of them. That one was yes. awesome. I wish it's like that's what I wish I had seen more of from this movie is like I actually heard more of the songs because I felt like the songs were. I awesome. totally agree. I really liked. I really liked uh, Lion of Love too. I thought that, like all of them were so like catchy and like upbeat and and fun. So yeah, I really wish I, had, I had, there was more. If, of that. Yeah, actually, this movie could have gained a lot from building up more Eurovision contestants and their acts and making them mm. as good or as memorable as Lion of Love, as Double Trouble. If anything, you could have just centered the movie on the performances and gotten away with a weaker plot if it meant that you delivered a lot more of the Eurovision magic. I totally agree with that. All right, so time to move to our quotes. Quotes, let's do it. Okay, I got the first one. Eric, your son is up next. I love this guy in the bar <laughs> who explains what was going on. I, I think he's wonderful. He's like the most annoying person because he's always just like pouring out what's what's happening in like the most obvious things. They're all sitting there watching it happen. And clearly like the announcers are going to announce what's going on like every five minutes. So to have this guy be in the bar and to say to the whole group, Eric, your son is up next. It's just like the icing on the cake of like being that guy in the bar. <laughs> so I appreciate him. Well, and I, um, yeah. I, I have to reference that uh, Icelandic YouTuber that I watched again. Her YouTube channel is called, it's something Icelandic. It's Harafna. That's how the English phonetic pronunciation is. But anyways, she talks about this. <laughs> how it is actually so unrealistic that Icelanders would not be watching if they made it to oh, Eurovision really? because it's such a big deal. And apparently in Icelandic culture, they support other Icelanders. So she said not just Eurovision, but if an Icelander is doing something significant on the world stage, the whole country is watching and supporting them. So she said this is something Absolutely. that they got wrong because they would obviously be supporting him no matter, even if his dad didn't want to watch. Yeah, but think of, yeah, well... I don't think that's unique to Iceland either. You know, think about if someone from your like city or from your state even made it to like this level of competition, you would you would check it out at Definitely. least for the first night. You Definitely. Know? Definitely. So yeah, Eric, your son is up next. Anyway, um, <laughs> my next quote, and I will be Sigrid and you will be Lars. Okay. Uh, this this is where she is talking about uh, talking to Lemtov. Um, and they're kind of having their kind of Lars and Sigrid are kind of having their falling out at this point. And she says, at least he sees me. I see you every day. No, you don't. I think this line is actually pretty good. Um, like it shows the, the, the switch tracking that these two characters are doing um, in that she is like she feels like he never recognized what she wanted or 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 her at all. And he is looking at this as a very like straightforward literal sense of like yeah i actually do physically see you with my eyes every day and she and he she just he obviously doesn't get what she's trying to say which is emblematic of their whole relationship um and i think that this illustrates that very well yeah i agree break up with him you deserve better that's right um <laughs> <laughs> do it sister <laughs> 
This next quote uh, comes from, I believe, that same guy in the bar. Or he says, they're awful, but they're our awful. Again, like, this kind of reiterates what we were just saying, right? That they, uh, like, Icelanders should su- support themselves, or, or uh, sorry, Icelanders should support each other, um, just like any country in this competition would support itself. Uh, but the idea that, like, they're awful, but, like, why are they awful? I mean, they play in the in the bar all the time, right? They're always playing that same song, and everyone seems to love that. Uh, no one wants to hear their original music, which I think is hilarious. But, like, the idea that, like, you would not support them because you know them <laughs> is like it's really backwards to me it's, well it's even more ridiculous once you realize the uh you know importance of the actual eurovision song contest watching right. the movie without knowing what that is you could be like yeah okay i guess stupid made-up song contest but now like once you realize the actual cultural impact of this long-running competition it's even more ludicrous that they would be so passive about their own <laughs> contestant yes uh, it's really funny. All right. I'll be secret. You be Lars. And I'll start. Okay. Ready? Yep. Wait, where are we going? Home to Husevik. What? Let's go. No. What? No, no, no. We have to go back in there. Why? Because all of Iceland is watching. But our family, our friends, my students, we cannot let them down. What do you mean? We already did. We are a joke. I'm not going back in there, where everyone is going to keep laughing at me. Well, I am. Why? I'm going to go sit in the artist area because I am an artist. And when I see that no votes come in for us, I'm going to sit there and I'm going to take it. Because I know that I am more than this contest, Lars. I have never asked you for anything, ever. But I'm asking you to do this for me. And I am asking you to go. Come on. Please, you are being very selfish right now. I'm being selfish? You are. You know that all I ever wanted is to win. Lemtov was right. You just will never be satisfied. All right, we nailed that. Yeah, that was pretty good, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so this is kind of the turn that she takes, um, right? This is the moment that she stands up for herself, uh, kind of for the first time. And it is a powerful moment, actually. And it's I think it's well-acted, well-executed, between our two leads um and it's just kind of emblematic of this thing that they keep saying about um uh they keep saying about lars and that he like he doesn't give up which i have uh, i'll address again in my next quote but i really do like f- like feel how like I don't know, ridiculous Lars is in this moment more than any other one because he only thing he cares about is winning the contest but like being on that stage in general is winning and he you hear that from the other com- competitors too like winning is not everything the fact that you are here with all these people in front of the world right that is what that is what you know true winning is that's that's what you know being a a artist is all about is being able to make that happen and i think I read somewhere that like Eurovision winners don't always like make it, you know, they don't always make it big and everything. But like the, like, could you hope for anything more as an artist than to be able to perform for all of these people all over, you know, and and to show off what you've done for yourself. Um, I feel like that's for, at least for some people, the pinnacle of this and winning the competition is just, you know, something else altogether. It's, it's not really that important. And I think it's made, the absurdity is made very clear in this moment. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, he's definitely got his priorities all wrong. The fact that he's even there, even after he's quote-unquote blown it and thinks that it's over, if anything, just enjoy it. They couldn't possibly get any worse. You know, stick around for the parties. Make some friends. Exactly. Exactly. Like, make some connections here. And that's the thing, too, is like, we've already touched on this, but like, what did they do that was so embarrassing exactly? I mean, the whole thing fell apart, right? But it was clearly an accident. So like, for them to put all that blame on themselves is so backwards to me I, I don't understand why they did it that way i guess it's because it's hard for people to judge what good singing is i guess like would they if they had sung poorly in the beginning or sung poorly here or messed something up would that have been obvious to the audience that that had happened or does it have to be something physical happening that makes it embarrassing right it's you like know? it almost makes it seem like eurovision is like the uh, it's not a song contest. It's more of like a stage performance contest where right. it's like, it, can you execute a performance without error? And that's how you win. Not necessarily that you have the best song or anything. It's that, oops, you tripped and fell, instant failure, you know? But that's clearly not true because even Secret doesn't even know what's happening. You know, every time she goes on the stage, she has a different outfit on. <laughs> and, and Lars has a different contraption that he's lowering himself into from the ceiling, which is funny, but like, it, she, there's no... Like, choreography or like any sort of like per- preparation that she's going through to understand what's going to happen on stage well, you, know, it, you never see any of that like practice yeah well actually i mean this is true for a lot of performance but like as long as you don't let on that you've messed up a lot of times audience can't tell so even exactly. if you have messed up as long as you just act confident and continue the audience might think it's just how it is which is what they do they pull and i think they pull it off in a way i you think know, so as too. best as they kill it yeah, I thought it so, was hilarious. I thought that was going to be the twist, was that their mess up ends up being wildly successful and that rockets them to success, which it kind of does. But, you know, that my what I envisioned definitely did not include Lars going home to Iceland. Um, right. And, and also didn't include the audience waiting like 90 seconds to start clapping. I and thought like that a the, couple people in the back are laughing. Yeah. But like, <laughs> like maniacs. Like. <laughs> I thought the audience, Alone? Yeah, I thought the audience reaction there was very weird. Yeah. Okay. I, well, speaking of uh, Lars going back to Iceland, uh, that's where the setting of my next quote happens. Okay. And I will be, uh, I will be Lars in this situation. You could be his dad, Pierce Brosnan. Okay. So I think I go first. Uh, yes. This is Iceland. It is Iceland. Yes. And you have done something for Iceland. Something great. Something none of us could ever do. Your song singing, it has brought us all great pride. No, it was a disaster. Yes, but you did not quit. You have Viking spirit in you. First, I didn't understand that. Until you got back up on that stage after that stupid hamster wheel went into the audience. You didn't quit. Thank you for that. That was, that was wonderful. That's from, <laughs> I love that Pierce Brosnan uh, that, accent. That's actually my Torbjorn voice from Overwatch. Um, <laughs> he's the engineer. Anyways, um, let's... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, anyway, I really hate this quote. I think it's awful. Like It doesn't make any sense in the context of the movie at all. First of all, Lars quits constantly that's like one of his things is that he gives up easily um when he says oh he got back up on the stage yeah that's true but then right after that he's like can't even face like can't even do the easy part where he's like 
sitting there waiting for the results to come in, you know? And I'm sure maybe that's nerve wracking, but you don't actually have to perform in front of millions and millions of people, you know? So I, I like the fact that like he didn't quit is not true. He did quit. That's why he's there right there. And he does say like Lars does say in a couple of lines after this, that, like I did quit though. Clearly the person who doesn't quit is secret, right? She's the one who never gave up on Lars and who once Lars gave up on his own dream, still held on to that dream, you know? So like, She's the one that should be, you know, taking all that. And the fact that like people keep telling Lars that he doesn't quit or like he has all this tenacity is ignoring secrets and also giving Lars credit where he doesn't deserve it. Plus, the other thing I don't like about this quote is that Piers Brosnan changes his mind off screen. The last thing you see from him is that he uh, uh, he walks out of the bar, right? The next time you see him, he's on the boat and then he calms down Lars because Lars is being hysterical. And he says this. But uh, at first I was like, oh, he like obviously Piers Brosnan knows that uh, his son won the contest or, or at least got enough points to make it too. And now he's valuable because he won something, you know, which is kind of a shitty dad thing to do. But, but Piers Brosnan did kind of seem like a shitty dad. So, right. But that's not what happened. It turns out neither of them do. And he's just like, oh, uh, you know, I went home after I was so embarrassed by your antics. I went home and thought about my, rethought my life. And now I have this new perspective on you. Um, you know, like for Pierce Brosnan's character is not like, he's, he's not a main character, but he's not literally a minor character. He's in a lot of scenes. He does a lot of stuff and tells the audience how he feels about everything, like basically everything that happens. So for him to like have this change of heart off screen and without like reconcile like without reconciling that not having secrets mom come to him and be like hey you're wrong about this or like you know having him sit back and watching old eurovision tapes or his son singing when he's younger and realizing that he really did achieve the goal that he always had none of that happens instead <laughs> pierce brosnan's like you know what because you're on this boat with me why don't you dive into the water and go after your dreams now <laughs> no i agree it, it all seems very convenient um it's especially because there is something there that maybe you could have done some scenes with the acting talent of Pierce Brosnan, but <laughs> right. instead you just, yeah, off screen. That's a, that is definitely uh, unforgivable to have something like that happen off screen. What's the point of having a two hour long movie if you're not going to include that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, uh, you, got, you got quotes? I have, I have some quotes. Um, this first one is just me. Uh, and this is at the. This is right after the song along when Mita is flirting with Lars. I have a good sized penis. Well, not too big. Uh, I kind of describe my penis like a Volvo automobile, solid, sturdy, dependable, but not going to turn any heads. <laughs> <laughs> I. This is just Will Ferrell like shining through. Like his delivery on this line, I thought was so hilarious. Um, and it is kind of like the crude humor that you expect when you watch a Will Ferrell comedy. Um, yeah. So I, this was just one that I thought I, it, I had to rewind to hear him deliver it again. Um, <laughs> I, I think he's he's great. Um, it, again, not not the funniest Will Ferrell movie, but he still shines through at moments. Yes, he does have. He is, despite being kind of an unlikable character, he he is very sympathetic. I think, and I I agree. There are moments that really do shine. Okay, so this next one is between uh, Secret and Lemtov, and I'll be Lemtov. You can be Secret. You'll go first. Okay. Lemtov, I need to ask you something. Sure, sure. Okay. 
uh, are you gay? <laughs> what? No, no, no. Of course not. I am Russian. There are no gay people in Russia. Statistically speaking, I don't think that's possible. I assure you, 100%. Fact of truth. No gay Russian. Non-binary? No, non-binary. I he, him pronoun. He, him. So, <laughs> this movie is obviously progressive. Um, mm, is it? <laughs> earlier in the film, at least brings up some progressive ideas. Earlier in the film, when Lars and Secret are arguing about who they're going to sleep with, uh, Will Ferrell shows no, or rather Lars shows no reservations about demanding to sleep with men as well as women in the, his, you know, in his attempt to make the argument of how many people he can sleep with. Right. So I think that that's something important to notice about this movie. It's a very 2020 film here. Um, but it also points out uh, some, you know, how conservative or how regressive Russia is uh, in their views of the LGBTQ community. From Wikipedia, I read that although same-sex activity between cons consenting adults in private was decriminalized in 1993, homosexuality is disapproved of uh, by, uh, disapproved of by most Russians and same-sex couples and households headed by same-sex couples are ineligible for the legal protections available to opposite-sex couples. It's actually kind of interesting, way, way back like in the 19-teens, like, Russia legalized same-sex marriage and then a few years later undid it. <laughs> really? Yeah. Um, but, you know, they still are very... Uh, old-fashioned if you even want to say it like that um i think it's hateful but um right. you know a lot of uh so i think it's imp i think that that was um an important point to make with the character of lemtov you know he he's not the villain so what is his purpose and i think if if anything it's like hey americans look at how russia is on lgbtq uh you know opinions yeah so I don't like this twist, I, like, quote unquote, of him being gay. Not that I have any problems with him being gay. I just don't think it serves the narrative very well. If anything, make him bisexual like, like Lars is like, claiming to be in that moment, right? Like have him like, you know, want men and women, right? Clear, like clearly, with the first time I saw him, the first thought I, I and he's on stage and he's dancing with those guys. The first thing I was thinking of was, oh, he's gay. But then he clearly is very into secret, right? In a way that's like, like very much a sexual way. He said he calls her beautiful. Or he says, oh, the skyline is even more beautiful with you here, right? And he like he he sleeps next to her in this bed, right? But you know he's a he's a gentleman. He offers her all of these things and like says, I want to spend my life with you, right? I want, to, I want to do all these things for you and with you. Like clearly in a way that's like, I want to be a, your partner in a kind of sexual way, right? In a way that's a romantic way, a way that he thinks Lars is lacking in, right? So for, for him to suddenly, like for them to hard line say, oh, he's gay now, Right, which they clearly do in a scene after this, where he's talking to Mita, uh, even though he denies it here, is just removing another choice for our female character. All it's doing is making that decision for her to be with Lars even easier, because apparently Lemta was never an option in the first place, mm. and I don't like that. The other, so like 
And the thing is, like, I really liked Lemtov as a character. I thought he was, like, I don't think he's that, he's supposed to be a villain. He's supposed to be, like, like you said, the foil, the rival. But he's not really villainous. There's all these points where he's, like, very constructive, very, like, um, helpful to Secret. It helps her see that she's, she has value outside of Lars, right? Which I think is awesome. And there's that whole point where uh, after they have the competition um, and, you know, the, uh, they find out that, Iceland was going to make it to the next round and they're sitting on the couch together and he's saying, oh, you should come with me and like we should live together and like travel the world together and perform together. This is the moment in another movie where the, the, the Lemtov character um, reveals that he's actually the villain, right? He says, oh, um, you can join my harem of other five wives, you know, or, oh, you can write all my songs for me and always and never get any of the credit, right? Like he says something that's like, oh, I... Um, I think it's nice for me, but it turns out like, oh, you know, secret, you need to get out of here. This guy's dangerous. But that's not what happens. He's very like cordial and says like, oh, like, think about it. You know, I know this is a big decision. Like, I want you to take your time and you'll, I know you're going to come to the right decision, you know? <laughs> and then at the end, even at the end, the only time he ever like says anything that's like um, kind of pushy is when she's like, she's congratulating him on his performance. He's like, oh, you just did such a wonderful job and all this stuff. And he says, stuff, stuff, stuff. This is about you now. You need to focus on you, right? Which is the first time you ever hear any characters give that sort of attention to Secret. And, and like, maybe that's like, oh, you're like, you're telling this woman to be quiet. But it's also like, hey, this isn't like, stop talking about me for once and start talking about yourself and start thinking about what's best for you, which I loved. I thought that was great. I wish she had ended up with him because I thought he had he had all these great qualities, way more than Lars did. Um, and yeah, so I, I'm not I'm not like saying I, that I wish that the movie had ended that way. I just you know justice for Lemtov is all I have to say. Yeah, ju I know. Just, justice for Brad. What was the other guy's <laughs> name? Justice for him too. All the yeah, all the like, all the other boyfriends like that, that got, yeah. who got rejected. Like, yeah, all the chads they get the short end of the stick just because they're chads and they're the the antithesis to the the beta male yes. protagonist nerd <laughs> who like plays with with like toys. Yes, exactly. Well, yeah, and uh, yeah, um, and yeah. I I mostly wanted to bring this up because I didn't know how conservative Russia was on uh, on uh, you know. Yeah. homosexuality but um i think you're right there is so much potential with lemtov if, if anything he's just kind of uh you know nothing he's just kind of a neutral character he's a nice well, guy you like you know but he's, he's clearly a, supposed to be a romantic rival to lars or like appear to be because i think it's part of the subversion where you're like when is lemtov gonna do the villain thing and it turns out right. it's not him it's the public broadcasting guy um so but yeah, it, it is what it is. I think that's going to end our quote section. And Joey, I believe you know what time it is. It is time for us to go a little deeper. Okay, so I said earlier that I didn't realize that Eurovision Song Contest was a real thing until after I finished the movie. Wow. <laughs> um, so I did a little research and I want to talk about kind of like the, uh, you know, high level explanation of exactly what Eurovision Song Contest is, it's a little bit of history. I'm only going to scratch the surface here because there's so much to it, but for any other fellow Americans who may be unfamiliar, uh, this is kind of a little bit what it is. So uh, Eurovision Song Contest, this is all from Wikipedia, by the way, that's my source here. Um, 
The Eurovision Song Contest is organized by the European Broadcasting Union and features participants representing primarily European countries. Each participating country submits an original song to be performed on live television and radio with competing countries then casting votes for the other country's songs to determine a winner, much like you saw in the uh, movie itself. Eurovision has been held every single year since 1956, Wow. This year is the first cancellation since the competition's inception. It was the longest-running annual international televised music competition in the world. Active members of the European Broadcasting Union are eligible to participate as well as invited associate members. So even though it's called Eurovision, obviously with Russia, there are other countries that are able to participate. Countries well, in- you know, what, what's it? Um, you know, uh, Western Russia is like part of Europe, isn't it? Yes. And um, so countries um, that span Europe and Asia, like Russia and Turkey, have participated, as well as Western Asian countries, uh, such as Israel and Cyprus, and even North African countries like Morocco have have participated in the competition at one time or another. Australia, not even close to Europe, is the latest country to make its debut in 2015. 52 different countries have participated at least once in Eurovision, uh, and a maximum of 44 countries can take part in any one contest. Germany wow, has that's com- a lot. Yes, um, and I'll explain how they get to all them as well. Germany has competed the most times, having participated in all but one competition, while Ireland holds the record for most victories with seven in total. Wow. All those bagpipes. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure they didn't just make a pop song that is really attractive to everybody. Um, Each contest is typically formed uh, of three live television shows held over one week. And and I'm going to be explaining the most, the most recent iteration. Most of the things I'll be explaining here are the most recent iterations of the competition. Mm -hmm. It has evolved through the years as it grew bigger and bigger and went through rule changes. Again, we do so there's so much to explain here, but I'm talking about, what it is now um each contest yes is usually three live television uh shows held over uh, one week two semifinals that are held on the tuesday and thursday of eurovision week followed by a grand final on saturday all competing countries compete in one of the two semifinals except for the host country of that year's contest and the big five countries which the big five consists of france germany germany italy spain and the united kingdom Uh, And they're known as the Big Five because they are the contest's biggest financial contributors. Uh, And for that, they automatically qualify for the final. So very epic. (laughs) Sounds fair. Just like the Oscars. (laughs) Um, The remaining countries, the ones who aren't pay to win, uh, the remaining countries (laughs) are split. Who designed this contest? EA? (laughs) (laughs) The remaining countries are split into two semifinals. And the 10 highest scoring entries in each semifinal qualify for the grand final. This means that 26 countries in total compete in the grand final each year. So we watched that in the movie where they competed in the semifinal and they got the other countries to vote for them enough to get to the grand final, right? So there's definitely some uh, consistency there. 
Various voting systems have been used in the contest history to determine the placing of competing songs. The current system has been in place since 2016, which works on the basis of positional voting. Each country awards two sets of points. One set is based on the votes of each country's professional jury, consisting of five music professionals from that country. And the other set is based on the votes received by the viewing public through telephone, SMS, and via the official Eurovision app. Each set of points consists of one to eight so that in the movie they just give eights but mm. uh, according to this it could be like six or two or sometimes even right they, i have this thing it's called four um so it could be any of those <laughs> so it'd be that number eight or lower 10 <laughs> and 12 points um to the jury and the public in each country um oh sorry so uh with the most preferred song receiving 12 points. So 12 points being the most valuable, obviously. Cool. Um, national juries and the public in each country are not allowed to vote for their own country, a, a rule that was first introduced in 1957. Um, so that's, again, just like in the movie, you vote for other countries. The winner receives simply the prestige of having won, um, although it is usually comes with a trophy or something awarded to the winning performers and songwriters. And then the winning country is formally invited to host the event the following year. So again, right. do, is it really necessary to blow up a, a boat full of your most talented performers if you can just say no? <laughs> right? Uh, right. If you win, you know, something that's pretty unlikely. A anyways, um, I mean, what Katiana did have a very like, impressive performance. Maybe she could have won it. Sure. But um, so, so I think that was interesting. Going back to what we were saying about Lars being too obsessed with winning, just like the other performers say, winning is not everything because you don't even get anything. You just get to right. say you won. It's just prestige. Not even like you don't even get like a Ford truck or anything uh, like the Super Bowl. So, I mean, that's... That what, wait, you, win a, you get a truck if you win the Super Bowl? You get whatever the sponsor's car is um, and you get really? to drive it in Disney World. Yeah. In Disney World? You go well, you go to Disney World. I don't know if you have to really drive it there, but they send the I thought that Super was just MVP. a thing that people did. I didn't know, like I thought you just, you know, you were like, I'm gonna go to Disney World because I don't know. But I, I didn't realize that they sent them to Disney World. Yeah, they well the, the MVP gets sent there. Um uh, so whoever that ends up being. But anyways, that's that's a totally irrelevant you don't get any competition. Of that, in uh in Eurovision, it's just you win. Um this is something I thought was very interesting about Eurovision. The the contest is a non-profit event. Right? Isn't that crazy? And and financing is typically achieved through a participation fee from each participating broadcaster, contributions from the host broadcaster, the host city, and commercial revenues through sponsorships, ticket sales, televoting, and merchandise. They have an independent watchdog that oversees the budget and any remaining funds are returned to the participating broadcasters after the event. It's very much on the up and up. Like this wow, is crazy. for the appreciation of the culture and not for the money, which is probably why America doesn't compete. Uh <laughs> <laughs> wait, I don't. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, like, I don't get a. I don't get a million dollars if I win. Yeah. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. I don't get a sponsorship deal if I win. <laughs> What's even the point? <laughs> like Nike is like, wait, wait, wait. I don't get to make a ton of money on advertising. <laughs> what? What? If you remove the incentive, then there's no reason for anybody to compete, man. That's right. <laughs> um, <laughs> so just like in the movie, performers have timed rehearsals at the contest venue. 
Uh, each country competing in the semifinals gets two rehearsals. The first is just 30 minutes, and the second is just 20 minutes. So it's actually kind of realistic that they ran out of time because they were arguing. Mm. There's no time for fiddle farting around. You have to actually take advantage of that short time. And um, like I think the first one is like closed to everybody, and the second one is open to the press. And after your rehearsals, you actually have to address the press. And there's like it's a constant cycle of um, media involvement and the performers rehearsing. Um, it is very busy, but it's all very much set out and scheduled as well. And the, there's so many different sh um, acts that they have to keep this going all day long. So you really have to stick to your schedule. Um, and just like in the movie, there are a number of huge parties during the uh, Eurovision week, some of which are in private, like the song along and some that are open to the public. There's even mm. a Euro club, which is like the official uh, like party location for Eurovision. And people go there. They have big screens so you can watch the competition there and all this stuff set up. Uh, sounds like a really good time. I actually That's wanted to bring this up when we talked about Song Along earlier. While I was watching that scene, I mean, it's very transcendent. You know, it really, it, it's, even though the movie is about music and there's already been singing a lot at that point in the movie, it kind of takes it to another realm um, where maybe almost enters into the world of being a musical, a true musical. But yep. honestly, when I was watching that, I was like, oh, okay, so this is what it's like when a bunch of people who are good at singing get together. Like, this is what they're <laughs> doing at their parties. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, the rest of us with our, with our horrible, normal voices, not gifted enough to be invited, we get excluded. But the, all the beautiful people, the beautiful voices yeah, come together yeah, yeah. and sing to the gods. And without <laughs> rehearsing or anything, they just like jump in and harmonize perfectly and nobody steps on each other's like lines or that's anything. That's right. Yeah. They, can, they create a medley. Uh, in real time without having to practice because that's how talented they are. They're just that wonderful and, <laughs> and beautiful. Yeah, and everybody's wearing fantastic outfits and is, uh, everybody hooks up with each other after. Sounds amazing. So <laughs> <laughs> um, so as um, so a couple technicalities about your vision because it is a song contest, all competing entries must include vocal and lyrics of some kind. Purely instrumental pieces have never been allowed. Early mm, in the I like that. Yeah. Well, I th I like that it's a song contest and not a singing contest because I've already expressed right. my opinions of singing on this podcast where I talked about how I think American Idol was a negative influence on the youth because singing became about shitting on bad singers and not really about appreciating good music so this yeah. is it is way more i mean obviously you want to have a good singer but it's more about the song than it is just the singer's voice right because it's an original song created for the competition i mean that's really that's something yeah you know like that's not just like oh i have this kind of talent it's like i am an artist you know who can write a song when i'm told i need to write a song basically you know that's like that's um that's that's next level stuff right and um so yeah, I, and so you can't do purely instrumental. Has to be can't a song have with lyrics on there. Yeah, <laughs> right. right. Um, <laughs> I'm sure there's some other worldwide competition for him though. Um, early in the competition's history, there were language rules, and they were a little bit different depending mm. on what year it was. It, it basically they were like it had to be something along the lines of one of the host countries' official languages, something along that lines. But eventually these were abolished and since then w giving free reign most countries sing in english um, well they mentioned that in the movie too right like that it's more accessible that way and if you sing in your own language then you're like definitely not going to win right but like 
one of the more powerful moments in the movie is when she actually sings in Icelandic, right? She has that song at the end and then like the chorus is Icelandic. That's, I mean, that you get chills from that. It was awesome. It was so beautiful. And seeing the, uh, the Icelanders like react to that and be like, Oh my God, like she's singing Icelandic. And like, like saying that ode back to them when they were like so proud of um, the competition and so worried about the competition. I think that was, I think that was awesome. Yeah, and I read something that a few years ago in Eurovision, like in the early 20-teens, somebody did a song that wasn't in English, which was totally counterculture at that point. And mm. since then, they've like songs in other and other languages have been on the rise, but still English dominates. I, well, you said that Russian song is in Spanish, right? It's in Spanish and English. I would say it's actually mostly in English, but there's like the chorus is Uno, in dos, tres, cuatro. Wait, you've heard it? <laughs> no, no, no. I was <laughs> seeing Pitbull. No, I'm not kidding. The song is called Uno, and uh, they they count uh, Uno, dos, cuatro. That's what they they. Uno, dos, cuatro. It's it's yeah. it's a great song, but it is a little bit in, like. I was watching some Eurovision commentary YouTubers and they were talking about how the Russians were like clearly courting the Spanish vote this year. That was their strategy. Mm. And um, I mean, if you look at the views on that video, they're courting the vote of everyone. Uh, That is a great (laughs) song. But but I digress. The songs are mostly in English, but it could be in any language you want now that the rules have been set that way the winning performers from the eurovision song contest feature as some of the world's best-selling artists while a number of the contest winning songs have gone on to become some of the best-selling sing best-selling singles globally like we said earlier abba uh, or ABBA. ABBA, the winners of the 1974 contest for Sweden have sold an estimated 38 million albums and singles since the contest win propelled them to worldwide fame with their winning song Waterloo. Um, Celine Dion, uh, the French Canadian singer, won for Switzerland in 1988 with uh, Ne Partez Pas Moi. <laughs> Uh, I cannot pronounce it, but Celine Dion won for Switzerland, um, and that song that she won with has sold 200 million records worldwide. And you might be saying to yourself, wait, did I just hear that a French-Canadian won for Switzerland? That's right. You don't have to be a native of the country you're competing for. Um, You just have to join forces with them and go compete. A lot of countries do that, actually. So, uh, Well, Well, some Americans have actually competed in the competition, right, for other countries. Such as? I actually didn't know this. Um, well, we don't uh, have to... Okay, I mean, I believe you. <laughs> um, I just... I thought that was interesting. And and honestly, we could... I could go on and on. I think the whole history of Eurovision is quite impressive and, and interesting. Um, but obviously, this is about the movie... This podcast is about the movie. I just wanted to kind of scratch the surface and talk about some of the interesting things there. So, so uh, Justin Timberlake actually uh, performed in the 2016 contest, but like as a like in between, as right. an interval act, um, and then Madonna as well in the 2019 contest uh, played some of her songs as well. That, yes, and that is part of that's a normal part of it. They usually have presenters as well. Um, I, I found, and again, I'll link to the affable chat Eurovision playlist in the description here. There is a, a pair of amazing presenters that do songs about Eurovision. Like they're they're very meta mm. and they they are, and self referential, and I think they do a good job of catching you up if you've never seen Eurovision. Um, oh, that's cool. So 
But I'll leave it at that. I think Eurovision is super cool. I think it's actually the coolest part of this movie. <laughs> like, I'm way more into Eurovision than I am to the Fire Saga. Yeah, definitely. I, I completely agree. And I really like this, this history lesson. I think it's really, really interesting. Um, so what you might be asking yourself, I'm, I'm sure you're asking yourself, uh, Benjamin is where are all the Americans? Um, <laughs> you know me so well. <laughs> any yeah, any movie that features people from another country, you have to have Americans somewhere in there, um, and they do have Americans in this movie. Um, so there's no rule in the Eurovision rules that say an American cannot compete, um, but it's always been kind of this like. An unspoken rule that like Americans have never really been quite invited, um, and nobody has ever tried to like cross over to do it. Like, I know they have to be part of that Euro European Broadcasting Corporation or like a partner with them, but some of like Fox and CBS and other uh, broadcasting companies in uh, America are part of that and do broadcast stuff through that broadcasting company, but we've just never actually had anybody come over. And so I think it's kind of an, it's interesting. I actually have a quote here uh, from the Americans um, in this movie, which I, we should read through. Um, I will be the Americans. You can be um, uh, Lars. Lars. Okay. Hey, do you know if this is where they shot GOT? Huh? Game of Thrones. Give me a break, man. Can't you see I'm talking to my reflection? Chill out, bro. You chill out, bro. Why do you Americans always say chill out like that to everyone? Jeff, let's go. This guy's nuts. Wait, I'm nuts? Hey, Europe is not your party town, all right? You come over here and you shit on everything. Show some freaking respect, all right? Go home and build your wall, you shit for brain Americans. So uh, this is kind of a running gag that shows up a few times. The Americans do show up and save Lars at one point. Okay, I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you said that because this whole movie, I was worried there weren't going to be any Americans, but then we showed up and save the day at the pinnacle moment yep. like we always do <laughs> that's so, right classic american european relationship we show up <laughs> in the bleakest hour and save the day i was relieved but unsurprised <laughs> yes and they do show up at the end too or at least other americans do and the bar and they, uh, Lars is constantly telling him like how terrible they are because they're americans <laughs> Um, <laughs> to their faces yes which i think is pretty funny i i do like the like especially since you know of course will ferrell is an american so it's a little bit of there's a little bit of self-awareness there oh yeah but um i think it's interesting that this movie this movie is clearly made for americans and yet like it has this kind of almost like um this feeling of like oh americans aren't worth it or like Americans don't deserve the Eurovision contest, you know, like they don't know about it. They're like, we're going to keep them away from it kind of thing. Although that's not necessarily true. It's just that it's never really crossed over. It's never really made this impact um, in America the way it has in Europe, uh, despite it being on for you know, more than 50 years. Um, and this seems like a, an attempt to kind of bridge that divide, which I think is interesting. It's not like we have done anything recently to warrant any sort of like goodwill <laughs> it's not like we've done anything uh you know to make it seem like we've turned over a new leaf and like that maybe we're we are worthy of the responsibility of submitting a, a song to eurovision but also like american pop music is like has different roots than european pop music and they're not really compatible not saying that like 
you couldn't have different songs in song competition. But like, it's just not quite the same thing as uh, like European pop music. So I don't know if it really does, if it would translate as well, right? And I don't know if it would uh, it would work as well from that perspective. You you can find some blogs and like you know opinion pieces about why Americans shouldn't join Eurovision, but really there is no real reason besides like oh you know. Besides the obvious, I guess you could say. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree that it is the obvious. For me, like, again, if you really wanted to find out who's got the best new song, then you would take on all challengers, right? But America's relationship to the world culturally is kind of um, asymmetrical, right? Yeah. We do a lot of pumping out culture to everybody else and saying, appreciate this. This is what's the best stuff and maybe not taking in as much you know we get the occasional gangam style but we don't really (laughs) you know what's popular here is what's made here um for the most part and yeah i don't know i just as an american i feel like we'd ruin it i don't want us in it i want your vision that's my that's my fear too and it would make me feel like really bad about myself yeah you know like i don't know if that would happen or not i'm you know there's plenty of americans that are very you know self-aware and you know selfless and stuff but not necessarily gonna happen on this stage i don't know i think i'm just biased against my own country like i just feel like we're so terrible we can't like let them have this yes let like we can still watch we do enough culture and music and we have American Idol still, I, I'm pretty sure. And so the X what Factor we... and America's Got Talent and count, countless other shows just like that. So. Right. And all of ours, I mean, I think like the main reason I'd say they're different is like, I don't know if we'd really, I know we're saying it kind of in jest, but it's like, I don't know if we'd really get on board with the whole, we're doing this just for the sake of appreciating culture. We would be like, okay, but where's my paycheck though? You know, I can, I can write you the next number one worldwide hit for money. For money. money. <laughs> Um, yeah, but Americans appreciate the Olympics. Americans love the Olympics. We all, we were always so proud of how many medals we win. Right. And, and th- I mean, that's like, a, um, something that I hesitate to compare this to because as much as there are rules and there are points to be awarded here, you can have your own opinion on what the best song is, right? Like you mm. don't have to agree with the Eurovision winner as be having the best song. You it's, it's more way objective more... when you're playing sports. Well, sure. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that really makes an argument for why America should or shouldn't be involved, but um, I think it's not a coincidence that America still hasn't been involved, and I hope that this movie doesn't have some sort of impact that changes that. Let, let's keep Eurovision. I, I continue to expand the countries in there, but we should be on like the end of the list of countries mm-hmm. you're adding. Yeah, once you, once you want to sell out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but eventually, maybe if they spread enough to become Globovision... Then obviously, Globo Vision. <laughs> it sounds like a. <laughs> it sounds like a a super villain's like new tech that they just invented. Oh, nice to spy yeah. on everybody. Globo Vision. <laughs> um. So yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's my view on the Americans' involvement with uh, Eurovision. All right. All right. Are we ready to go on? Yes. Okay. So that's going to bring us to the end of this episode. And as we do at the end of every episode of Apple Chat, we will deliver our ratings. And uh, Joey, do you want to deliver yours first? Sure. I give this movie an embarrassing amount of pointing at landmarks in Europe and saying, hey, it's just like that thing in Will Ferrell's Eurovision <laughs> Song Contest Story of Fire Saga. 
<laughs> oh man, I'm sure when we can travel again, Americans are gonna be saying that so much. <laughs> There's gonna be no stopping them. Um, <laughs> I I give this movie a delayed applause, an nice. extremely de- delayed resp- uh, applause, because. Um, I didn't start clapping until after I found out Eurovision was a real thing, which was way after this movie ended. So it's fitting. Perfect. Okay, Joey, what's next on Affable Chat? The next movie we're doing is Vice. Vice. Yes, that's right. Um, The story of the vice president during the Bush administration, Dick Cheney. Richard Cheney. He has this thing. It's called Cheney. And... (laughs) We're going to be talking about that one next on Affable Chat. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And wherever you listen to us, make sure you leave us a review. It really does help us grow. You can reach us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. It seems like it's sticking around. This TikTok, have you heard of this thing? Uh, This new thing called TikTok? It's sticking around, you know, apparently for now until Microsoft buys it and ruins it. Uh, But all three platforms to twitter instagram tiktok at affable chat that's how you can find us or you can send us an email affable chat at gmail.com we also have a youtube channel where we upload videos sometimes not about uh movies and a twitch streaming uh channel i guess that's what it's called <laughs> that's <laughs> right we're live on twitch affable live, chat on twitch. live on that's twitch what I used to say. if you want to talk to us directly find us on twitch twitch we're gonna, start, we're gonna start streaming more regularly I am definitely going to be live, and Joey will be in the chat. If you want to interact with us, find us there. But that's going to do it uh, for this episode of Affable Chat. For Affable Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening. <laughs>